This is Deep Dish on Global Affairs, going beyond the headlines on critical global issues. I'm Brian Hansen, and today we're talking about a prize-winning peace in the Horn of Africa. Last week, Abiy Ahmed, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Abiy earned the accolade for helping to end a 20-year military stalemate between Ethiopia and its neighbor, Eritrea. In fact, since coming to power last year, the young prime minister has pushed for an aggressive reformist agenda in Ethiopia. And on Deep Dish, we often discuss conflicts, threats, dangers, and bad news because they're important as well. But today, we want to take an opportunity to look at this episode and focus on the good news, to focus on the possibilities of peace, because that's also important in the world. To discuss the strides so far and the steps ahead, I'm joined by two experts. Michael Woldemariam is an associate professor of international relations and political science at Boston University. He's also author of the book, Insurgent Fragmentation in the Horn of Africa, Rebellion and Its Discontents. Welcome, Mike. Great to have you on Deep Dish. I'm good to be here. And also joining us for this conversation is Ertherin Cousin, who is a distinguished fellow of global agriculture here at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. And she previously served as the executive director of the World Food Program from 2012 until 2017. Welcome, Ertherin. It's great to have you on Deep Dish as well. Thank you for this opportunity. So, Mike, I want to start with you and ask you if you could briefly just set up the conflict between Ethiopia and and Eritrea, where this came from, how long has it been going on, why is it important that there is progress on it? Well, it's a a fairly uh, extended conflict, uh, and to understand its genesis, one has to really go back to the 1950s. Uh, Eritrea had been an Italian colony. Uh, And the international community, um, after the end of Italian colonialism, uh, decided uh, to federate Eritrea with its large southern neighbor, Ethiopia. Ethiopia, of course, being uh, uh, really the only, only the only, you know, one of two African countries to have never been colonized. Um, In 1962, uh, the Eritrean Ethiopian Federation, which gave Eritrea a significant amount of autonomy, uh, was abrogated by Emperor Haile Selassie, um, and that triggered a uh, conflict uh, for self-determination. Um, and, and that was won by the Eritreans in 1991. Uh, between 1991 um, and 1998, uh, relations between uh, the newly independent state of Eritrea um, and Ethiopia were pretty warm and collegial. Uh, you had a new government come to power in Ethiopia in 1991 as Eritrea was becoming independent or had become independent. Uh, but what happens in 1998, and this, this I think, brings us up uh, to the dramatic, uh, this sort of lays a stage for the dramatic diplomatic breakthroughs of the summer of 2018. But what happens in 1998 is the two countries slide back into conflict. Um, and they slide into conflict for a number of reasons. I think uh, one issue or the the probably the most direct cause of the war was a border dispute. Um, but there were also underlying economic issues, uh, questions of, of regional politics and hegemony that were also in the background. Um, and so they fight a bloody war uh, that lasts for about two years, ends in May, or rather May, June 2000. They sign a peace deal. Uh, the, but the peace deal really didn't solve the underlying problems. Uh, the, the border issue uh, was meant to be or was actually sent to arbitration. Um, and the arbitration decision on the border was meant to be final and binding on the parties. Uh, Ethiopia didn't like the outcome of the arbitration process, so effectively reneged on the deal. 
Um, and, uh, and so the two countries were basically at a stalemate uh, from that uh, point onwards. Um, and so, you know, and this was an issue for the Eritrean side because Ethiopia occupied uh, uh, these, uh, much of the disputed territories. Um, and so, uh, you know, not recognizing the arbitration decision, um, it sort of locked in a status quo that was not in Eritrea's favor. Um, and then uh, that impasse, which lasts for about two decades, is broken um, in the summer of 2018. Um, and it's in, in large part broken because of the efforts of a new young prime minister from Ethiopia by the name of Abi Ahmed. And why is it, so you've described really nicely, a long-term conflict that is, you know, locked into an ongoing dispute. Why is Prime Minister Abi able to, uh, able to make progress on this? What, what's changed? On one level, I think Abi made uh, rapprochement with Eritrea a priority. In fact, in his, his first speech when he, when he took over as prime minister before the Ethiopian parliament, he essentially laid out an olive branch uh, to the Eritrean government and said, uh, you know, we need to, we need to resolve uh, the conflict between us, uh, move our bilateral relationship forward and, and, and move the Horn of Africa forward. And, and one has to understand the broader regional stakes of the Eritrea-Ethiopia rivalry. I mean, this was... This was a this was a, a conflict that infected much of the region. I mean, it fueled uh, the crisis in Somalia. It affected Eritrea's relations with the, with with its other neighbors, Sudan and Djibouti. Um, it, it it really it, it was it was a a, a node in uh, a particularly volatile node in uh, in a web of conflicts in the Horn of Africa. And so the, the thinking was, if we can resolve this, we can make this region. Uh, a little less volatile, a little more peaceful, and maybe set the stage for regional integration. Uh, but I think the real reason that the breakthrough happened was not so much uh, what the new prime minister actually did in terms of policy, uh, because I don't think it's it's clear that he pursued uh, a sort of unambiguous change in policy towards Eritrea, particularly on the issue of the border. Uh, but what effectively happened is I think the Eritreans calculated that, look, there's a new prime minister. It's not the previous government. Uh, uh, and they, you know, much of the acrimony that the Eritrean side had with Ethiopia was really about the previous government. And they said, there's a new leader and, and we can we can do business with him. Um, and, uh, you know, he's displaced. Uh, and we, we haven't really talked about the underlying ch- changes in Ethiopia, but he's displaced our, the old regime that was our, that were our rivals. Um, and so we can we can make peace with Ethiopia um, and it can only it can, it can almost be seen as a political victory, right? Because we outlasted the previous government, um, and so this is a, a long way of saying there were calculations on the air train side, uh, strategic calculations that peace was possible because you had a new prime minister in Ethiopia. May I ask why, Michael? Question, Michael. I, I, I appreciate your last response uh, about the, the Eritrea's, your suppositions regarding Eritrea's calculations about the, the opportunity for peace. The Nobel Peace Prize that's been given to uh, Ethiopia, normally when it's a peace agreement, they give it to both sides. Uh, it's interesting that they've only awarded the prize this time to Ethiopia. What's your thought on why they one side and not the other? Yeah, that's a good question, and and uh, this is this is an issue that's been raised uh, by by Airtrans. I mean, it's interesting when you when you think about Airtrans views or some of the discourse you see on social media about this prize and the fact that it was 
it was only uh, offered to Abdi. I mean, I think uh, supporters of the of the Eritrean government uh, are, are quite critical of this. Um, there are even Eritreans who um, feel as if uh, Abdi was undeserving because uh, he made peace uh, with what they perceive to be uh, an autocrat. Uh, who's guilty of, of, of a variety of rights abuses. Um, but I think when it comes to the Nobel Prize, the Peace Prize, one has to understand Abdi got it for, uh, for a bundle of, of different initiatives, right? I mean, so the, the peace with, with Eritrea, Ethiopia is the headline uh, achievement of Abdi. Uh, of course, he didn't do that alone, as you know. Um, uh, but also there was a mediation in Sudan, uh, and he, he played a really big role in, in bringing Sudan, uh, pulling Sudan back from a major, major political catastrophe, uh, you know, because there was a confrontation between uh, the military and, uh, and civilian forces uh, after the ouster of Omar, Omar al-Bashir that almost threw the country into the abyss. Um, and then there's, of course, uh, the, the broad package of political reforms that Abdi has initiated within Ethiopia. Now, in all of these areas, I mean, all of these initiatives uh, are, are a work in progress. progress. They're in many ways fragile, um, but, but there have, has been real, real movement in all of these areas. So I think, so it's not just about the Eritrea-Ethiopia piece. I think the other issue that has to be mentioned as well, um, and I think this kind of alludes to what I, what I said uh, a moment ago, um, you know, Eritrea, uh, unlike Ethiopia, the Eritrean government uh, has not followed up the peace deal with a package of internal domestic political reforms. Uh, Eritrea has required as has acquired a reputation over the last couple decades um, as a very autocratic uh, country where the security apparatus deploys uh, a whole range of repressive tactics to maintain its political monopoly and control of the country. Uh, and there, w- there was an expectation that after the peace deal uh, was struck or the rapprochement came online, that this would be followed up with domestic reforms. And, and that, that hasn't happened. So I think, uh, I think that's the reason that, uh, that the Eritrean president, Isais Afawerki, did not uh, receive, the, receive the, the Nobel Peace Prize jointly. Um, I think there's just real reputational issues he faces because of the way the country is actually governed. Um, again, as, as I said before, Eritrea did play, and the president did play an obvious role in uh, in making uh, the peace possible. As, as one Eritrean, or as a couple of Eritrean commentators uh, noted online, you can't clap with one hand, right? Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a fair point. Yeah, and let me just ask one follow-up question on this is it's easier to declare peace often than it is to do the hard work of bringing it about. Are there important issues that we should be paying attention to as this process unfolds that will let us know if things are being relatively successful or if they can go off track? Or is this basically a done deal and it's resolved and we shouldn't we have no real reason to, to worry about the future? The rapprochement, I think, as it stands right now, is is really quite fragile, um, uh, and I think that has to be has to be emphasized. Yes, Abi has has received the Nobel in part because of uh, the breakthrough that he achieved with Eritrea, but we are a long way uh, from being out of the woods uh, on this particular issue. Uh, there's there's a couple of reasons for this. I mean, well, let's look. Let's just look at the situation right now. Um, there, there. We obviously have seen a, dip, uh, a rehabilitation of diplomatic relations between the two countries. 
uh, high-level diplomatic contact, close relations, seemingly close relations between Abi and Isaias, although that may have cooled uh, in recent months. But the 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 the, the, the normal normalization between the, the two countries uh, has not really taken place. So the border is closed, uh, remains closed after being open for a few months. Uh, you don't really see, um, I mean, trade as a consequence, trade relations uh, between the two countries. Uh, have not been fully re- rehabilitated, although when the border was opened, uh, you did see a pretty robust uh, cross-border economy uh, be revived. Um, the, the, the ostensible cause of the Eritrea-Ethiopia rivalry, or the most recent iteration of it, which was the border issue, um, is sort of hangs in limbo, right? I mean, it hasn't actually, the border has still not been demarcated. Uh, and, and there's a whole, there's a whole raft of enabling agreements and legislation that needs to be, that, that needs to be, uh, created and established to fully normalize relations between the two countries on, on, uh, um, uh, the movement of, of people across the border on port access. And there are a lot of issues that just have not, have not been fully addressed. This is really, really helpful. And I want to broaden this discussion out into a broader understanding of the Horn of Africa and dynamics over the last year. Um, you know, my first kind of consciousness of the complexities and some of the challenges in this region came in the 1980s when there was a famine in the Horn of Africa and there was a famous kind of Band-Aid, um, which was, you know, bands as a music bands, raising money to support the relief efforts at the at the time. Earthrin, you ran the world's largest humanitarian relief and food agency in the entire world. How does this set of developments affect um, the ability to address food security issues, um, both in Ethiopia and Eritrea, but also more broadly in the region? Thank you very much for the question. The the, the the challenge of food insecurity in Ethiopia is one that's been well recognized, not just um, by those who suffer, but by and 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 by the donor community, but by the global population as a whole. Because, as you noted, of the of the public calls to action that have always that have occurred historically around Ethiopian famines, um, the the the. Ch- the challenge of conflict is is one that affects food security, but the the Sahel region, which we often think about as only West Africa, uh, covers the entire northern sub-Saharan African continent and affects East Africa and the Horn of Africa as well. And so, climate change and the and the erratic rains across the Sahel have affected food security in 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 the Horn of Africa. And as a global community, as an international community, we have responded in Ethiopia uh, to those challenges. I've been, I, I was, I was uh, a witness to Ethiopia's growing response to their own food security challenges and the work that, and the investments that they have made um, in both the emergency assistance programs in Ethiopia as well as in agricultural development in Ethiopia. 
When I came into WFP as executive director, we had no relationship with Eritrea. In fact, uh, the Eritrean government expelled um, the international community from um, supporting their food security and their food insecurity uh, in the early 2000s, and we haven't uh, been allowed back into the country. Uh, We weren't allowed back into the country during, during my tenure. Um, and not only did they not allow us into the country to assist, they, um, the government's statements were that they have no food security problem in Eritrea, uh, and they would not allow assessments. But the out-migration of population during times of drought would suggest otherwise, that there are problems. Uh, and it's it's interesting in 2015 when we were addressing the drought challenges in Ethiopia, Eritrea did allow both UNICEF and WFP to come in and make an assessment. Unfortunately, they didn't allow us to release the findings of that assessment, and as a result, again, we were not allowed to assist them uh, in in addressing the the, the findings uh, of of that assessment. So, what we are hopeful of as an international community uh, is that this opening, how, however slight it may be, will also result in Eritrea's reopening of their um, of the country to the international and the regional community for us to provide the support that is necessary because 80% of the population in, e- in Eritrea, just as in Ethiopia, relies upon rain-fed agriculture for their food security. And when the rains don't come in Ethiopia, the rains don't come in Eritrea either. Building on this and to bring you in, in Mike, you know, one looks at the map where Ethiopia sits in. We've talked about some of these neighbors in this conversation, but obviously you've got Ethiopia and Eritrea to the, to the north of Ethiopia, to the west. You've got Sudan, South Sudan. Um, you've got Somalia to the, to the east and kind of the northeast, Djibouti, Kenya. These are countries that have been in the news for all kinds of reasons, including conflict, including food security issues. Does the resolution or the movement toward resolution of the Eritrean-Ethiopian conflict have implications for these broader issues, conflicts, and challenges um, in the region of the, the Horn in Africa? Or is this really the most important effects are in this bilateral relationship between Ethiopia and uh, Eritrea? I do think it has some broader regional ramifications. Um, I think it has plenty of upside across the region. Um, I think it has uh, some perhaps negative uh, ramifications that have to be managed. Um, I mean, if we take, for instance, uh, the case of Somalia, and if we go back to the, the mid, uh, you know, 2004, 2005, 2006, um, the Eritrea-Ethiopia rivalry played out in Somalia in some pretty pernicious ways uh, because the two countries were backing different factions and it really fueled uh, conflict dynamics in that, in that particular country. And I think one thing that we've seen um, after the, you know, you know, subsequent to the Eritrea-Ethiopia rapprochement is that Ethiopia has, has, taken, has pursued a bit of a lighter touch in Somalia um, and, and that it's, it's tried to engage a little bit more productively with the federal government of Somalia. 
there are obviously still huge questions uh, that remain in Somalia. You've obviously got uh, the threat that al-Shabaab poses, broader challenges of, of state building in that country and building a political consensus across the various clans and federal member states. But, uh, but there is, I think, I, I think one does detect some positive uh, dividend of the Eritrea-Ethiopia rapprochement for Somalia. And I should add here that after Eritrea-Ethiopia uh, uh, had this rapprochement, they, they signed a tripartite uh, deal, a political deal with Somalia uh, to effectively support um, the Somali government in its, in its effort to rehabilitate the Somali state. Um, I think in, in Sudan, uh, where Abi played a pretty big role in mediating uh, the political crisis that emerged after Omar al-Bashir's ouster, I, I do think that the peace deal with Eritrea allowed him to, gave him the room uh, to engage in Sudan in some more productive ways, um, in part because, um, you know, or it became possible for the government Addis to see um, Sudan not simply through the lens of its rivalry with with Eritrea, right? So he was able to go in there and facilitate a political bargain between the military um, and and the civilians, and not sort of throw his weight behind one side or the other. Frankly, I think the previous government probably would have backed the military. So yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 allowed for uh, more diplomacy across the, the broader region. There are, there are still challenges, though. I mean, Eritrea's relations with Djibouti, and Djibouti being a historic ally of Ethiopia, um, still remain um, pretty cool. Um, so I think that's that's certainly a challenge. Um, so, you know, the, the, there, there are still issues in the region that have to be resolved. So I want to come back to you, Earthrun, and ask about the role of the international community in a time like this. There is a, a, a rapprochement that could be leading into, you know, really interesting potential positive impacts in the, in the community. In the sorry, in the region, for the international community, how do you think about ways to support moments like this? What are things that can be done to help it be more successful? Help a process like this succeed? Well, and you you take these openings when 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 they're when they're when they appear, and um, it, it's you use them to try and build bridges where they didn't previously exist. I spoke earlier about the challenge of even assessments in Eritrea, and so the the community now is is seizing this opportunity to. Re- to engage with Eritrea in in a positive fashion in hopes of, at the very least, uh, accessing more data about the country's needs uh, and then using the opening in the relationship to try and offer uh, additional assistance. The, the challenge is that um, the U.S. has been a, a in, in the past, was a significant player in those those assistance conversations, and they are not today, uh, and that does affect the the ability of the international community to to um, positively engage. The, in other words, if you don't have financial resources to support engagement, um, it makes the the possibility of those um, those conversations uh, quite limited. 
And that's what we're seeing today. Um, there is, there is, um, as I said, a a a, a desire uh, by the organizations, the WFP, the UNICEF, UNDP, to engage. But we also need more member state engagement, which includes the U.S. So, as we bring the conversation to a close, I want to I want to just build on this point about what. What role the U.S. should or can play? How should the administration approach this this opportunity? I, I mean, I think uh, there, there's a couple of different things uh, that that the United States uh, can do. I mean, I think that the, the U.S.'s posture towards uh, Prime Minister Abi, his reform agenda, and his initiatives towards Eritrea is to be as supportive uh, as possible. Um, I think they see Abi as an, an as an agent of change, and um, and and are, are trying to basically facilitate many of his initiatives domestically uh, and abroad. I think engagement, continued engagement uh, in Sudan, uh, is really quite important um, because uh, uh, one thing that that happened in the midst of the Sudan crisis after Omar al Bashir uh, was. Um, was ousted was that a number of countries from the Gulf, and we haven't talked about this issue, but it's an important one, um, had uh, had sought to basically backstop uh, a new military government in Khartoum. Um, and the United States exerted some real diplomatic efforts to basically rein in some of these Gulf countries. Um, and in, in the case of Saudi Arabia and the UAE, they are important American allies. So the United States had, had quite a bit of leverage. So I think in, in Sudan, the United States has to con- continue to be engaged at a, at, a, at, a, at a high level politically. With Eritrea, I think it's a work in progress. Um, as Arthur had noted earlier, uh, relations between the United States and Eritrea are historically tense and difficult. Um, I do think the Eritrean government has a... a how I should say this, uh, perhaps a more positive view of the Trump administration than, let's say, its predecessor. Um, so there is some maybe, at least in the short term, maybe some scope for a continued improvement of relations. There has been a resumption of high-level diplomatic contacts. Um, the Assistant Secretary uh, of State for Africa, U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Africa, visited Asmara not too long ago. You've had senior Eritrean delegations uh, visit the State Department. Uh, you know, so I think... I think what the United States needs to do, obviously, is 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 to continue to engage, uh, to try to facilitate and backstop the peace process, but also continue to raise the the, re- the real issues of of political reform and human rights concerns uh, in that country. Ursarin bringing in you into this discussion. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that in addition to the the diplomatic and political engagement that Michael so well articulated, uh, the the the, we, the the US is 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 a key actor in d- development activity. Um, and uh, the relationship between uh, the the economic stability of these countries and conflict is quite clear. And economic stability in these countries is directly related to agricultural productivity. And so U.S. engagement on investments in in increasing the agricultural productivity of all of these countries, Somalia, um, Eritrea, as well as Ethiopia,
Philadelphia is quite uh, important to uh, increasing stability, particularly with the increasing impact of erratic climate events in, in the Horn of Africa. And so the engagement must not be only political and diplomatic, but also must result in investment, financial investment by the U.S. as well as the other uh, global donors uh, in the um, the agriculture and the economic systems of these countries. So, Erthren Cousin of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs and Michael Waldemariam of Boston University, I want to thank you both for being on Deep Dish. This is, you know, the Peace Prize gives us a chance to focus on a part of the world that I, I think we don't pay enough attention to, obviously with incredibly important um, consequences for the, not only the people who live there, but more broadly in the world. So thank you both for helping us understand what's happening there and what the opportunities are for a path forward. Thanks for being on Deep Dish. You're thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank you for tuning into this episode of Deep Dish. If you like the show, do me a favor and tap the subscribe button in your podcast app so that you can get each and every new episode as it's released. You can find our show under Deep Dish on Global Affairs wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you think you know someone who would enjoy today's episode, please tap the share button and send it to them as well. I'd like to invite you to join our Facebook group, Deep Dish on Global Affairs, where you can ask our guests follow-up questions about anything you heard today or submit questions for upcoming guests and episodes. That's Deep Dish on Global Affairs on Facebook. As a reminder, the opinions you heard today belong to the people who express them and not the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Our audio engineer for this episode is Andy Zarnecki. I'm Brian Hansen, and we'll be back soon with another slice of Deep Dish.